0: Hello, folks. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I'm the executive director and have been for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more about us, go to cpeonline.org or traincpe.org. The other ministry is the ministry of Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, where I'm the Bible teacher. And this is the word that we feed on. Today we begin addressing one of the essential experiences in personal salvation. It's the experience of repentance. In Luke chapter 18, the Lord Jesus illustrates this idea of repentance in a story. Christ's words will help me give you the setting for our message today. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, "'God, I thank you that I'm not like other men.' extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now let's go to Mark chapter 1. And let me read to you verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. Just two verses. We'll be looking at a number of different verses this morning. So you keep your Bibles in your hand and keep your fingers nice and nimble. We'll look at a number of different passages. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 15. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. We've talked about, over the last couple of weeks, a number of different things. Primarily, we've talked about this message of the gospel that we, as the body of Christ and as Christians, have been commissioned to be ambassadors for and to present to the ends of the earth. What we said about this gospel is that, and there are different elements to the gospel, but if we were to take it in its primary essential expression, the gospel is this good news message to sinful people that a sinless Savior has come and died in their place, taking their punishment for their sins upon Himself on the cross. That the sufficiency of His suffering for our sins has been established in His rising again from the dead. That he has ascended into heaven in order to mediate the sufficiency of that sacrifice before God the Father on behalf of all of those who will repent from their sins and who in their hearts will confess and believe him to be their Savior, their provision, and confess him as Lord and Savior. That is the gospel message. Someone has come who's lived a perfect and sinless life and who has stood in your place of judgment upon the cross and died for your sins and has risen from the grave, triumphing over those sins. And now, if you'll trust and believe in Him, He will mediate His sacrifice for you before the throne of God so that you can be made just and right with God and reconciled to Him. Now, we spoke in the last two weeks about what is necessary for individuals to hear that message to be able to hear that message and then to begin to rightly respond to that message. And what we said was that individuals need to be awakened by God. We pointed out that the Bible gives a description of mankind and their spiritual disposition towards him in light of their sin. And what we saw is that man is ignorant and that the Bible teaches us that man is not only ignorant, but that he is inert, that he's unmoving towards God in his ignorance. He's not trying to rectify his ignorance of God. Not only is man ignorant of God and inert, unmoving towards God, but that he is positively opposed to God. He is antagonistic towards God. And then added on top of that, the God of this age has contributed to this state by blinding his mind, his spiritual eyes, so that he cannot see the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ Jesus. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And finally, God renders his statement about the condition of mankind by saying, and speaking of all men who are sinful in this way and therefore ignorant and inert and antagonistic and blinded by the God of this age, God says they are. He capstones it with this declaration, they are spiritually dead. We spoke of that death as, as if it were, and the Bible juxtaposes it next to the picture and the image, and you find that in Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 5, God continues to, through the Holy Spirit, to express through Paul this notion of spiritual death, And he juxtaposes it with the idea of being in a spiritual state of sleep, a deep lethargy in which you are unresponsive to the work of God. And so the Bible says, Awake you who sleep and rise from the dead. And the light of the gospel or the light of Christ will shine upon you. That's the condition of men. And so we asked ourselves, How is it that ignorant, inert, antagonistic, blind, dead people give a hearing to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're to proclaim? How is it that they're ever to hear it and even begin to offer up a proper response to that gospel? And our answer was this. They have to be awakened by God. We looked at Acts chapter 16 where we're told that the very first convert in Europe on European soil, Lydia, had her heart opened by God so that she might hear and heed the words of Paul, that she might receive the gospel. And that's what men need. They need to have their hearts opened by God. They need to be awakened by God to this reality. And so this leaves us in a position. It leaves us in a position where we intercede for men. We pray, oh God, open and awaken the minds of people that they might hear this reality and this truth. And we trace the response of individuals who had had this awakening, this opening of their mind to the message of the gospel. And what we saw is when their mind and their hearts were awakened and their eyes were opened, there came upon them a sense of desperation because they saw God and they saw their sin. And so, here is a picture of men having their minds opened so that they could receive the gospel. It's the very first Day of Pentecost and Peter is preaching to the multitudes that are gathered around on the day of Pentecost and he preaches Christ as being crucified and risen from the dead. And having their minds and their hearts opened before by God, the people who hear Peter preaching cry out and say, men and brethren, what must we do? And we're told that they were cut to the heart. They cried out in this way. And we have following the account of Lydia who had her heart open to hear the words of Paul, we have the story of the Philippian jailer who has imprisoned Paul and Silas in a prison and there's been a great miraculous earthquake that's taken place and all the jail doors have sprung off their hinges and flown open and the jailer is ready to kill himself because he thinks all of his prisoners have escaped and then he learns that instead of them fleeing out from this prison house, they've all rushed to the center of the prison where Paul and Silas were because there they had heard Paul and Silas singing their songs of worship and praise, exalting in the salvation of Jesus Christ. He's filled with a sense of fear. And he cries out at this moment to Paul and Silas, What must I do to be saved? It's the picture of an individual who has been awakened. It's the picture of a person whose heart has been open to hear the gospel is after this awakening and after this opening that the gospel is preached to them and these individuals are able to respond in an appropriate manner. But here we're speaking of something that I cannot do for another individual. Here we're speaking of something that another individual cannot do for themselves. You cannot awaken yourself. You cannot open your own heart to receive this truth. God must do it. God must work in advance of his gospel to awaken men to these truths. and So we learn, we must pray. We also learn that we give witness to the gospel out of the testimony of our own awakening. That there is a reason why the gospel stalls and doesn't proceed as a witness from the church, and it's this, you cannot give witness to what you have not experienced yourself. So we ask a very important question not whether you've somehow graduated from the various catechisms of the church, not whether you've gone through a process in which you've discovered the value of Christian fellowship in your community and the world, not where you've intellectually reasoned the value of the gospel and its sense, but what we asked is, can you give testimony to a moment in your life when you were awakened to God's truth and reality? Can you give testimony to A moment when your life was opened up and there was a realization that you were in desperate need of a Savior and you cried out to Him. That's where the gospel gets its root and its beginning in our lives and it's a work of God and it's out of that work that God does in our life that we bring forth a witness to the world. I can do that and I can tell you the story and I can tell you how God began to awaken me and some of you can tell the story for yourself and for some of you it happened in a moment it happened in a flash you had grown up maybe your whole life in the church but on one occasion one person said one thing to you or one verse came to your mind or in a circumstance or a situation the reality of the gospel began to descend upon you and in a moment you experienced this awakening this opening and you responded to god for others of you it was over a period of time in a process of time but you know that god got you to the point where you knew there was no other way for you than that christ must be your savior for your sins In that moment, you called out to Him. Everyone has a different story. If you've come to Christ truly and really through Him. But the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the child of God has to come and be born out of this experience of having been awakened. Having had your heart opened by God to this reality and this truth. And if it hasn't happened, oftentimes you're trying to lead people to Christianity, but you're only leading them to a cultural Christianity because that's only as far as you've gone yourself. You've never been awakened and you've never had your lives opened before Him in that way. But, assuming now that we're in the position of Paul who had his awakening moment on the road to Damascus, assuming now that you're in the situation where you've had the experience like Peter who beside the Sea of Galilee fell before the Lord Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And where Jesus said to him later on, Are you going to depart from me as well, Peter? And Peter said to him, having had his eyes opened up by the Father, Where else can we go? You have the words of life. Everything is with you. Assuming now that you occupy a position like that, and you've been commissioned now to go out with this message of the gospel, and you're to proclaim this gospel that somebody has died in your place for your sins and risen from the grave, and that now he stands to mediate his sacrifice and his provision for you in heaven in order that you might know complete and full forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And you bring that message to people. What now are you to call them to do? How are you to answer the cry of the people on the day of Pentecost? Men and brethren, what must we do? How are you to answer the cry of an awakened heart that comes down and says, What must I do to be saved? Well, over the next number of weeks, I'm going to talk to you about the response. And the response is twofold. It has two parts to it. Really, they blend together as one. They're two sides of one coin, you might say. But over the next couple of weeks, and maybe beyond that, we're going to be speaking of just the first part. But the answer is, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. We're going to talk about this first notion of repentance. It's a word that's been neglected in the church for some time. We've tried and experiment over the last 50 years of preaching the gospel without primarily focusing upon this word, and yet J. Edwin Orr points out to us that the first word of the gospel is repent he points out to us that if you go to a little child and you were asked a little child what the alphabet is they would to state the alphabet what's the first letter in the alphabet they would say the first letter in the alphabet is a and if you ask them why the first letter in the alphabet is a they would just say it just is it just is and you can find it true in almost every other alphabet a is the first letter of the alphabet it is alpha that comes first well in the same way repentance comes first. It just is. It is the first word of the gospel. Well, thanks for listening in today. Join us in our next broadcast as we sound out the realities of a true repentance. This has been the Bread of Life. To learn more about our work abroad or at home or to get a copy of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.